Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. I heard in church growing up followed the same kind of pattern. You just could count on it. You tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. And it's not a bad mode of communication. In fact, this is the approach that the master of rhetoric himself, Aristotle, taught his students. For Aristotle, the goal is to be clear, to ensure the audience understands exactly what you're trying to say. But growing up, it was all a bit predictable. Just listen to the intro, you got the message. If you've been around for a while to hear my preaching, you know that I don't really preach that way. It's a little hard to follow. Outlines are a little uh, unclear about where the three points are supposed to be. I I generally use a more inductive approach to preaching, and that means you often don't know exactly where it's going to wind up until the end. And some of you may say, sometimes, Colin, we get to the end and we still don't know what your point was. Inductive preaching risks lacking clarity for the sake of holding attention. But today's sermon calls for clarity over craft. I want to be as clear as I can be this morning because it is vital that each of us answers the question that I want to pose this morning. And the question is this, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And if you aren't ready to answer that question by the end of the morning, I want to leave you, uh, I want you to leave worship this morning dwelling on that question because it's a, it's a question that we all need to at some point make a decision about in our lives. And I would be a failure as your preacher if, if I'm not as clear as I can possibly be for you to consider this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? So we'll get to that in just a moment. On Monday of this week, um, we had a lament service, uh, a time where we gathered for a moment of lament. Some of you gathered online. There were some in the room, and it was a healing time. It was a time for several in our church to express the challenge of this last year, the death that had been faced. We had a hospital chaplain that was here to talk about what it's been like in the hospital to care for staff and for patients. Uh, Another high school senior that shared also powerfully about her experience over this past year. But the lament continues in this season. Many of us saw the events this week in Atlanta and the challenges that were there. And and we know that the Asian American community in particular is is hurting and grieving. We grieve with them this morning. And and this week also, uh, there's been a death in our jail in Collin County that you may have seen in the news as well. I've been with uh, the the Scott family this week and with the community 
and other African-American brothers and sisters and all of us that are grieving, lamenting, challenged by so much that is going on around us. So as I pray this morning, I want to lift up and, and to show concern, uh, show lament, not just for what we grieved on Monday this last year, but all the events that are going on around us, that we can be the people of God to respond in appropriate ways in this season. Let us pray together. God, this morning as we dwell on this question of who Jesus is, I pray that you would touch each of our hearts, that you would move in us this morning or in the days to follow, that we might answer that question for ourselves. God, I'm also mindful of so much that we bring in the room this morning, and I'm grateful to see that the numbers here in first service continue to grow in the same and second. God, it's exciting to see people back, and we miss those who are praying with us online, God, that are worshiping, and we're grateful that they are where they are and can still worship, and we long for the day they'll be able to return. But our lament extends this week to the grief in Atlanta, the grief in our own county, and the challenges that we face to be the people of God in this season. And I pray that you would help us surround those who are mourning and hurting this morning, that we might be the presence of Jesus being the light of the world this week. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. In the middle of the Gospel of Mark, there's a turning point where Jesus goes from teaching and doing miracles to asking the disciples the very question that I already asked to you in that tell you what you're going to tell them segment of the sermon. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. I'll begin reading in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Jesus could not have selected a more symbolic place, a more symbolic city to ask this all-important question to his disciples. Caesarea uh, Philippi was to religion what Costco is to shopping. Variety of all kinds uh, available for their worship. It was located north of Galilee within a a region known as Panion, named after the Greek god Pan. It was once a center of Baal worship. It boasted an impressive white marble uh, structure that was the place of worship for Caesar and uh, the Roman Empire and the leaders therein they believed to be gods. In addition, the temples of Syrian gods littered this area. And it was there in Caesarea Philippi, amidst the backdrop of religious pluralism, that Jesus asked his followers this question. In the midst of all this, who do you say I am? But first, he starts with another question. Who do people say that I am? And and they're quick to come up with several responses to that. Well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. When it comes to the opinions of others, it's very easy for these disciples to gather a list and host of responses to the question. But then comes that personal question. Who do you say that I am? And this time, no one responds but Peter, which isn't too odd if you've been following along. And the question's a bit tougher. Who do you say that I am? It's one thing to offer the data about what others believe about Jesus. It's another thing entirely to say, for me, this is who Jesus is going to be in my life. Who do you believe Jesus is? Not 
what did your parents and grandparents teach you about Jesus? Not what does the Bible have to say about Jesus? But who do you believe that Jesus is? It's the most important question you could ever be asked. And maybe you know the name of Christ and the life of Christ, but down deep, you're not really sure about your answer to that question. You're trying to come to grips with him and answer the question, who is this Christ? And we live in a pluralistic world, much like Caesarea Philippi, the first location where Jesus asked this question. We live in a world where people live by different truths. But the problem for followers of Jesus is that faith in Jesus is based on certain historical events that are either true or false. The resurrection, for instance. The empty tomb cannot be true for you and not true for me. Many religions are based on teachings, but not on the founding teacher. Christianity is based on the life, the character, and the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Christ did not come to teach Christianity. Christ is the essence of Christianity, the founding, the start, the center. And Jesus made himself the issue. Uh, Listen to this in, in in the Gospel of John. In fact, this morning, we're going to be going all through the Gospels, okay? I really want us to hear the words of Jesus, the words of others about who Jesus was as we're assessing this question ourselves. John chapter 8 in verse 24. This is in, in the midst of a dispute about who Jesus is. Jesus says this, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Jesus clearly uh, claimed to be the path to forgiveness and life. And the core assertion of chapter 25 of the story is that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, everyone, it seems, around us, most everyone, has nice things to say about Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses say he's a created being. Mormons have said said at, at times in the past that he was a polygamous man who became one of the gods. Unitarians say that he's a nice guy. Buddhists and Hindus say he was a man of great enlightenment. Muslims say he was a prophet, though not as great as Muhammad. And many atheists acknowledge that he was a great moralist. But if Jesus is not more than that, then Christianity crumbles. Listen to the way that the Gospel of Mark begins the story of Jesus in the Gospel. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Apparently, Mark is not an inductive preacher. He starts off saying, this is who Jesus is. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. Turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. When John describes why he writes this book, listen to what he says in John 20, in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. At least 50 times, the New Testament refers to Jesus as the Son of God. We cannot be Christians and be fuzzy on the identity of the star of the story. Later on, John writes in a letter, 1 John uh, again, the same idea. First John 5, verse 5. says there, Who is it that overcomes the world? And John says, Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, this is the core conviction 
upon which we build our faith and on which Jesus builds his church. And this assertion is not just an assertion that John makes. This has strong support throughout the Gospels. Number one, God said so. That's the first support we have. Only twice in Matthew's Gospel does God speak directly. And both times he speaks in the Gospel of Matthew, he makes the same point. Which means we better be paying attention. The first is in in the the book of Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Again, this comes at the baptism of Jesus. These are the words of God. As, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, some might say, Well, wouldn't any father say the same thing, right? Aren't we all God's children? And this is true. We we can claim to be adopted children of God, but Jesus claims his sonship is qualitatively different from all of the other ones. In that famous passage in John 3, verse 16, we read these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus is God's one and only Son, according to John 3, 16. And as a result, God tells us to listen to him like no other in the second time in the Gospel of Matthew that God speaks directly and speaks to this question. John 17 in verse 5. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God sets Jesus apart from even the greatest of the prophets because of their unique relationship. No one ever has come or ever will come who can tell us more about God than Jesus Christ. But it's not just God who claims and says that it is so that Jesus is the son of God. Satan said the same thing. Now, men debated the identity of Jesus, but there is no such debate in hell, apparently. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, in verse 3, after the baptism story that we read a moment ago, and, G- and God naming him as the Son of God, we see in, in the wilderness, in the temptation scene, this in Matthew 4, verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that may not seem like a ringing endorsement in your English translation, but according to Greek grammar, if takes on much more of the idea of since. Since you are the son of God. What he's doing is he's challenging the identity that he's had. He's claiming that Jesus is the son of God and then challenging what's true after that. What are the privileges of sonship? Satan knew exactly who he was dealing with. And he names it there, but also his minions, the demons, these evil spirits claim the same thing. This is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. Story of Jesus Restoring two demon-possessed men. After they've been cast out, this is what the demons say. Or rather before. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before our appointed time? You see, these demons know who Jesus shows up uh, is when he shows up. In the Gospels, the demons who possess people are always terrified of Jesus because they knew he was the son of God. 
They knew the power he possessed. Yes, hell is on record that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's not just God and uh, the devil. Eyewitnesses said so, said that he was the Son of God. Jesus' miracles didn't always inspire belief or faith. That's exactly the response that comes in Matthew chapter 14. After Jesus walks on the water out to his disciples, and Peter, remember, has faith to walk on the water, and then he, he begins to drown, he begins to sing. Jesus raises him up. This is the response of the disciples to that whole scene that they saw as they were safely tucked in the boat. Matthew 14 and verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. This is the proclamation after they see the powerful miracle of Jesus. Who else could calm the storms? Who else could walk on the water? You are the son of God. And if Jesus is the son of God, then respect and esteem are not not enough. What we are here to do this morning is the proper response. It's to worship God. And that's what they did. Uh, But it's not just those three entities. Jesus himself claimed that this is so. Those who say Jesus never claimed divinity for himself need to read again, I think, the record that we find in Scripture. It was exactly those claims that kept him in so much trouble. Jesus was not just crucified for what he did. He was crucified for who he claimed to be, for what he said. Matthew 26, we see this record as he's on trial, as those are trying to figure out what to do with him. Listen to this in Matthew 26, verse 62 and following. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you were the Messiah, the son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. In a very real sense, Jesus went to his death for the sake of this conviction. Yet his enemies would claim that his death actually proves the fallacy of that conviction. Listen to this scene as he's on the cross and the interaction that occurs in chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Notice on the cross, Jesus is assaulted concerning the core conviction on which his whole life depended. We cannot fathom the force of the temptation that he must have felt in that moment to prove them wrong. They're claiming, we will believe if you do these things. Why didn't Jesus come off of that cross to prove this? And yet, while his enemies refused to bow before him because he did not come down, 
we bow before him now because he refused to step off that cross. Still, even in his death, Jesus held triumphantly to his conviction about his sonship. Listen to these last words of Jesus. He says, Father, into your hands. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was quite certain about who he was and who he was claiming to be. He claimed to come down out of heaven. He called on people to pray in his name. He even said he had authority to forgive sins, something no other religious leader claimed for themselves. In 2005, uh, Bono, the lead singer of U2, said these words. I asked myself a a question a lot of people have asked. Who is this Jesus? Was he who he said he was or was he just a religious nut? That's the question. Enough with this nonsense that Jesus was just a good man. Even Jesus rejected that notion. Now, some of you who are C.S. Lewis fans are going, Colin, are you going to pull C.S. Lewis in? This is the right moment. And yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do next. Because I think C.S. Lewis posed this question so well. This is his quote. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. The star of the story, Jesus knew exactly who he was. And so I've told you what I was going to tell you. And I've told you. And now I want to tell you what I told you. I want to ask that question again. That's all important for us that each of us needs to ask and answer for ourselves. Who do you think? Who do you believe Jesus is? The whole point of the story that we've been reading now for 25 weeks leads up to this question and this decision about the star of the story. There is room in the church for a diversity of opinions about a lot of things. This really isn't one of them. The validity of this story, the validity of Christianity depends on the identity of the star. So who do you say Jesus is? It's the most important question you will ever need to answer. This morning you have an opportunity to answer that question. In Matthew 10 verse 32, Jesus said these words, Whoever acknowledges me before others... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So many of us may have answered that question this morning as an opportunity to recommit to that, to recognize the evidence that we've read this week, to think about all the moments in our lives that we've had confirmed for us the truth of our baptism. But if you've never answered that question about Jesus and you desire to do that this morning, I invite you to put your faith in Jesus this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing a a song together. And uh, we're going to worship together. We're going to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. We're going to proclaim in singing this truth. But if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, 
I invite you to find me uh, at the side of the room over here this morning. We can baptize you this morning. You can make this claim and acknowledge Jesus as Lord so that Jesus will acknowledge you before all of heaven. So I invite you to do that right now as we stand and sing together. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.